0: Father in heaven, we pray now, Lord, that you would help us listen to your voice in the word. Lord, we pray for your presence to comfort us, equip us. Father, you've told us in Psalm 119 that the unfolding of your words gives light and it imparts understanding to the simple. And we acknowledge this morning, Lord, that that we are simple-minded. We know so little of the, the depths of your character. There's always more that we can see and experience in the gospel of your son. So I pray for help in teaching, for clarity, for honor of your son. And I pray, Lord, for those listening, for hearts that would be joyfully obediently responding to what you tell us in jesus name we pray this lord amen amen have you had any endearing family moments lately have you had any endearing family moments lately i look forward to december 25th every year because there are sweet moments with my family and lord willing that'll happen Uh, This year, as my parents travel from Lexington, Kentucky. Um, But I want to let you know that on December 17th, already this year, on December 17th, a few days ago, there was this sweet time with my daughters that felt a lot like Christmas already. Um, Eleanor, she's almost four. Alice is a year and a half. Here's what happened. I set the grocery bags down in the kitchen. And I made my way back through the house to get to my car in the garage to get more. But once I set the grocery bags down, I only got as far as our living room, and I heard our almost four-year-old yell, Mom, look, Mom, we've got orange juice, Mom. And Alice, our youngest, was like, ooh. And then Eleanor said, Mom, look, I can lift up the orange juice. I can lift it. And Alice was like, ooh. And I grab more bags, and I set them down, and I'm walking back to the car, I get the last few bags, and I hear Eleanor say, Mom, look. Dad, turn around, look. And I'll turn around. We've got cans of beans in this bag. And Alice is going, ooh. She's learning some words. It was incredible. And the excitement kept rolling on and on for all 20 bags or so of groceries. And you would have thought it was Christmas. It was just a routine grocery pickup during the pandemic. They don't go with us to the store, obviously, in the pandemic, so they don't know what Dad's bringing home. And opening those bags, it's like Christmas every week. So it's been fun. And for me, it was this touching moment, just hearing their voices, seeing their excitement over these common groceries. It was so so endearing to me. And God himself, our heavenly Father, has endearing memories and endearing moments with his children that he wants to share with you today. To see what I mean, turn to Hosea chapter 11. Today we have the opportunity to see God give his perspective on his children, the young infant nation of Israel, and learn from his memories with his son, with his child. Let's see what what this is all about. This is going to be the first three verses of Hosea chapter 11. Look with me in your copy of the scriptures. Hosea 11 verses 1 through 3. Here's the word of the Lord. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son the more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the bales and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. Amen. Here we have one of the most touching warm images in the Old Testament with God as father, Israel as son, and he's speaking of warm affection to his son, even though at this point, his son is a wayward, disobedient, rebellious son. He's addressing his son with compassionate words. Verse 2, he's highlighting and calling them out for their disobedience but in verses one and three he's sandwiching he's wrapping up his statement of their sin he's wrapping it up with these tender memories that he has of his son he's helping his son Israel realize son my love is not going to be easily exhausted and he's seeking to help them turn by telling them these things on his mind The main point in the passage today is it's very simple. The main point is look at how personal our heavenly father is to his children. And by personal, I don't mean he knows somebody's name or he's friendly, but personal, meaning he has a real covenantal personal relationship with his children. And the main idea here is that even though God's children disobey, the love God pursues his children with is not easily exhausted. It is a warm and strong love. It's the type of love that we all want from our family. A warm and strong love. My prayer for us today is that we would know deeply the personal affection held out to us by our heavenly father in the gospel of his son jesus christ a love for all who would turn from their sins and trust in him today we want to understand what hosea is doing why he's saying these things and then we can see how the new testament uses this passage because if you remember the last few weeks we've been talking about prophecy haven't we we talked about numbers 24 then we talked about Isaiah 11. How these great Old Testament texts really proclaimed Christ. And the three verses that we just read actually proclaim Christ. And I want to show you how. And I want to show you how in the, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew goes, takes a beeline right to this passage during one of the birth narratives of Christ. I want to help unfold that for us this morning. Uh, so it's a simple task. What we want to do is we want to look at these three verses in Hosea, understand them, and once we got a grasp of them, we want to look and see, how does this teach us about Jesus himself? And then we'll just close the sermon with some things you can take home. Application. Now, I hope you're just as excited as my daughters were with some of the application that you get to take home and and share with your family. So here's the structure. This is how we'll frame the message today. There's three parts to this sermon because there's three verses and we're going to look at each verse at a time. There's three parts, three verses. Here's the, the three parts of this sermon. Verse one talks about good parenting. If you wanted to sum up, what's verse one about? What's well, about good parenting? Verse two, it's about childish behavior. Verse two is about childish behavior. And then verse three is about family memories, family memories. So let's, let's get into the text here. Good parenting, Hosea 11.1. 1. How do we know God is a good parent and a good father? Well, he has words and deeds. He doesn't just talk a good game, he backs it up. I don't know about you, but if you think about your own parents, your father or mother, or the person who raised you, were they just somebody who talked a good game? Or or maybe the reverse. Maybe they did a lot of things, but they never seemed to show with words how they felt. Well, God's the perfect father. He does both. So check out verse 1. We see here love. We see love. It says there in verse 1, When Israel was a child, I loved him. I loved him. This is an undeserved love. This is a deep love. As you know, the most non-negotiable quality of a good parent, we can all say this, whether we're Christians or not, we all want to have a parent who is loving. A grandparent who is loving. A sibling who is loving. An aunt, an uncle, a niece, a nephew. You could go down the list. Maybe you want a rich family member who you don't talk to, but they just shower you with possessions. No, what you really want, if you're honest, no matter who the family member is, is for that family member to be loving towards you. Isn't that right? This could be a hard topic today. We're talking a lot about parents, and especially fathers. Many of you listening right now probably fall into one of two categories. Either A, you had a great parent, a father or mother, who you even look up to. I hope that this passage today will help you see how their love is so small compared to the lavish love held out by the Father. As good as they are, there's an even better parent, our Heavenly Father. And then for some of you listening, this could be a, a painful kind of mental exercise this morning as we think about parenting. Because you had a parent who didn't seem to show love or say it. Maybe they were even abusive. Or maybe they were just incredibly selfish. And yet they said they loved you. But but you felt like it was just all selfishness. Or maybe they were absent. Let that pain point you to the Heavenly Father. The reason you even feel pain from the absence of a father is because you're made in God's image And so he's already hardwired into your heart this desire to have family dynamics that go according to his plan. And his plan is for love and warmth and consistent grace and faithfulness. A protective, loving discipline and care. And so when that's not there, it is right to grieve and feel pain, but it's not right to then point your finger at God and say, God, I'm not going to be able to love you that well because I had a bad example. No, God wants to tell you, as painful as it was, I gave you that, <laughs> that bad example so that you would be forced to look for the good example that never lets you down. That's me. That's me. Hello. I had a wonderful father. He's still alive. Um. Whether you had a good father or a bad father, it's hard not to cry, isn't it? If they were bad, it makes you want to cry. If they're good, it makes you want to cry. My father is still alive. Lord willing, he'll be here for us for Christmas. Um, But I have to say, my dad's love, it's not that great compared to God's. It's amazing, yes, humanly speaking, when I just think earthly levels, but when I think about God's love, Let's keep going through this text. Maybe before we go any further talking about God's love, we need to capture the the context of verse 1. You know, we kind of parachuted into chapter 11, verse 1. This is a 14-chapter book. Well, the context of Hosea is vivid poetry. Almost all 14 chapters are poetry. The verses, did you notice those first three verses that we read, those are poetry? And what's going on in this book is that God's marriage-like covenant with Israel, has been broken and dishonored. And the prophet Hosea is calling out Israel's unfaithfulness and calling them to respond to God's love. And strong images are employed here. There's even some disturbing images in this book. Israel is pictured as a promiscuous wife, an unfaithful wife. At other times, Israel is pictured as an indifferent mother, or an ungrateful son. That's what we're looking at in these three verses. An ungrateful son. But Israel is also pictured as a, a stubborn cow out in the field. Or a luxuriant vine. Or grapes growing in the wilderness. There's all kinds of imagery. There's mixed metaphors that roll one after the next in this book. And here in chapter 11. This is the the most personal of metaphors that exude warmth and affection because it's not about plants and produce and animals here in the verses we just looked at it's the toddler days the infant days of Israel take a peek at verse 4 I know we didn't read it but you see how in verse 4 there those words yoke on the jaws do you see that at the end of verse 4 That's cluing us into he's switching metaphors again. He starts talking about animals. So that's why we're only looking at verses 1 through 3 today. I wanted to keep it just with one metaphor. Verses 1 through 3 are that contained metaphor of Israel as son, God as father. So as we work through this, as we've just mentioned, God declares his love. He says that in verse 1, I have loved my son. But it's not just words. He goes right to the heart of action. Perhaps the the pinnacle and apex of him displaying his love to the nation of Israel. And he does it through the exodus. Do you see how the second half of verse 1 says, Out of Egypt I called my son. He's talking about the exodus without using the word exodus. Exodus. God demonstrates his love right at the beginning of of Israel's history. It's something they are always meant to look back on, to see his love. And God loves them with great power when they were so vulnerable and even helpless and weak. Isn't that when you can truly see a parent's love shine, when their child is helpless, vulnerable, and weak, and they... They sacrificially rescue and protect and provide for them. It reminds me of a family friend I had growing up. Uh, Really, his dad was friends with my dad. His dad's name was Charles, and my friend's name was Will. I didn't see Will that often. We went to different schools, but something happened to Will in high school. He went up to dunk a basketball, and on the way down, it was ugly because he fell and hit both of his wrists on the floor and broke both wrists at the same time. And so for weeks and months they did surgery on Will and they corrected his wrists, but his his wrists were in huge iron cages. Pins were holding his wrist so that it could all the bones could heal again. Do you know what that meant for Will? getting dressed in the morning, using the bathroom, taking a shower, doing his schoolwork. His dad was his hands. I wasn't there for all the moments behind the scenes when his dad was helping him. But I can only imagine how, yes, humbling that was for Will for months to have his his dad do everything for him. But I bet Will's dad, Charles, despite the pain and discomfort, I bet he loved it when he looks back on it. That's what a father is for. A father is meant to lead and protect and provide. And that's what our Heavenly Father does. And you wonder, how did he do that? Well, he brought his child out out of the exodus, far worse than just broken bones that would eventually heal. Israel was stuck in Egypt, in bondage, in slavery. They could not get out. It was getting worse and worse. They were overpowered. And God brought them out. He even plundered the Egyptians on their way out and provided for them. We know that that this love the Father had For this infant nation, Israel, they were a a brand new nation, so helpless, so vulnerable. We know God loves them because he brought them out with a strong arm, judged their enemies. And he says things like this in Exodus 4, verse 22 and 23, Moses is supposed to say this to Pharaoh. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So look at how personal God views history and his own special people. God doesn't just look through the lens of circumstance and history as if it's abstract, these random things that are happening. He sees it through the eyes of a, a loving parent. There is protection and provision in the Exodus. There's great compassion by the Father in the Exodus. So when he says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son, can you see how Hosea is invoking The strongest display of a father's love to a nation at that moment. How would the son respond? Well, Hosea tells us. This is part two, childish behavior. Despite that strong love from the father, here's how Israel is responding. This is verse two, chapter 11, verse two. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. You see, God aimed not just to take the people out of Egypt. He aimed to take Egypt out of the people. They kept looking back to Egypt and remembering all the, the leeks and onions and the great food. They forgot the bondage they were in. The fleeting pleasures caught their eye more than the, the gravity of the situation. You remember, God took them out of Egypt so that he could dwell in their presence, tabernacle among them. But what do they do? They build golden calves. What do they do when they get into the land, when they're still a young nation? They sacrifice to the Baals, the storm gods, the, the pagan idols. They make idols for themselves. If you read the book of Judges, it's a a nasty cycle over and over where they they keep plummeting more into their idolatry. And we are told in verse 2 why that is. Because A, they refused to listen, and B, they didn't just stay near God and refuse to listen. They wandered away from Him to idolatry. Do you see that there? Refusal to listen. Verse 2, the more they were called, the more they went away parents grandparents maybe even siblings you know this to be true if you're calling the name of a family member because they need to either stop doing something or pick something up or come near to you or get out of danger when you're calling to them and they refuse to listen isn't that one of the most frustrating things especially when there's danger and they refuse to listen far worse than just an intervention the lord is trying to save israel from eternal damnation but they refuse to listen they keep turning to other gods their stubborn rebellion increases and what isaiah or sorry what hosea is saying here is is reminiscent of deuteronomy 32:6 which says do you thus repay the lord you foolish and senseless people is he not your father who created you, who made and established you. The words in Deuteronomy employ the same imagery here in Hosea of God pursuing his wayward child. So this idea of not honoring the heavenly father is not new to Hosea. It's been replete in the Old Testament. Even one of the Ten Commandments, you know this, honor your father and mother. That's not just while you're a child in your parents' home. That's lifelong, and in some sense, there's a way to still honor your father and mother even after they have passed. But yes, primarily, it's, it's while they're alive and you're honoring them. God takes so seriously how we view parental relationships near and far in our family and family tree. Well, through the, the fog and haze of, of Israel's sin, there's this piercing ray of light coming from God himself. It's his own memory bank that he wants to lay out in front of them. Did you see in verse 3, this third part, family memories? Family memories. The father's love is not exhausted. Here's what he, he says. Verse 3. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms and they did not know that I healed them. It's fascinating to think about verse 3 because there's this great asymmetry in the memory bank. There's a great asymmetry. Parents and grandparents know that when a little child's learning how to walk, chances are that child is not going to remember that moment of taking their first steps and all the The toddling that takes place after the first steps. But the parent remembers. And maybe you've seen pictures or or heard stories from your family when you were learning how to walk. But your memory is so dim and small compared to those who were there and, and saw it in a more mature state. And God is telling Israel, hey, I remember when I taught you how to walk. Meaning, when I took you out of the exodus, you might say, how did God teach them how to walk? Is he just throwing in a cute metaphor? No, He taught them how to walk with Him. He gave them an exact template of commands, the Ten Commandments. He gave them a pattern and a template for the temple, how they should arrange their camp, how He could dwell and walk with them. He showed them how to walk with Him, the sacrificial system, all these things. It's true. God taught Ephraim how to walk. He taught Israel to walk and he took them up by their arms. What a tender image of a parent picking up their child. But here's where we see the asymmetry. Even though the father has these fond memories, what does the child remember? None of it. Even though the father has told the son of these moments, the son even still refuses to to hold on to these memories. And we get that from verse 3, the the last part of it. Did you see how verse 3 ends? But they did not know that I healed them. Israel's amnesia was not outside of them that made them forget. It was a, a, a strange inward amnesia that they created for themselves the moment they went after idols. And it seared their heart and memory from remembering God's goodness. Israel was ignorant. They forgot that God had healed them. He had rescued them from bondage. Before we pivot now to Christ and apply this to our lives, this is the perfect place to stop and just ask you, have you forgotten that God is your healer? If you're a Christian today, if you have faith in Christ, have you forgotten that that He's the one who saved you and set you on this path of sanctification? And if you don't know Christ, have you realized that whatever else you're looking for is not going to heal you the way God's going to heal you? How does God heal you? Well, it's as J.I. Packer summed up the entire theology of the New Testament. Here's how God heals you. It's three words. Adoption through propitiation. Adoption through propitiation. That's a big theological summary of the gospel. The gospel is not merely abstract. The gospel is personal. It's about the love of the Father. Romans 8 and Galatians 4 tell us, God sent his son that we might receive adoption as sons. We receive adoption as sons and daughters because God sent his spirit, the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, father. Thus, we're no longer slaves of sin, no longer alienated. We are forgiven, washed, reconciled, heirs of his love. The gospel message is that God created human beings in his own image and set his love on all humanity. He set his love on them, meaning he gave a witness with his creation, meaning he has provided. There's no human being can say God hasn't provided for them. He gives the sun and the rain to to shine and fall on the just and the unjust, He gives us food. The very fact that you're alive right now is because the Father has sustained you. The Father has set his love on us, but we have turned and given our rightful return of love to other created things, whether they are inanimate objects or whether they are created things other people or maybe most subtle of all, whether we've just turned our love inwardly back on ourselves. And because of that sin and rebellion, the family relationship is severed and broken. There is a separation between you and your heavenly father created by your sin. And because God is a good, rightful, loving father, he will call you out in your sin. But if you do not turn and trust in him, he will deal with your sin an eternal punishment if you reject his love. And just like Israel, you may be asking, well, how do I know God loves me? God hasn't done this, this, and this for me that I wanted. That's because you're not looking at the cross. The cross is where you see the Father's love. God sent his only son into the world to be an obedient son and to die and take your place because he loves you. And then he lets Jesus display his power to the world because he rises from the grave and ascends to be with the Father. And the Lord Jesus, sitting at the right hand of the Father, proclaims the gospel now. The gospel is this invitation that you can be a part of the Trinitarian love of the Father, the Son, and then by his Spirit, enjoy that fellowship. If you would turn away from your sin, And begin to give your love with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you hear the first commandment there? The greatest commandment, to give that to God. God's after your love. He's not after just religious rituals that you can do for him. And then he commands you to do what? Love your neighbor. The gospel is one of a father's love. He wants to make you an adopted son or daughter. So it doesn't matter where you were born or what family you were born into or lack of family you were born into. He wants to make you a part of his family. Are you an adopted child of God? Are you a recipient of the Father's love? Maybe more deeply, are you living like it? Or are you living like something else is really the kind of love you're looking for? The Father is holding out love for you in the gospel of His Son, Christ. Receive it by faith. Look to Jesus. Well, let's close out this message today looking at Jesus. Let's do that. If we take what we've just learned about Hosea 11 1 through 3, the Father looking at the Son, but this Son is wayward. This Son was called out of Egypt. How does that have anything to do with Jesus? Well, that's what in closing I want to show you. If you'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 2. If not, if you're not turning there, just listen. This is Matthew chapter 2 2 verses 13 and 15. 13 through 15. Sorry, 3 verses. Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew's gospel, he he references Hosea eleven one. So here's Matthew 2.13. It says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill What the Lord had spoken by the prophet is the prophet Hosea out of Egypt. I called my son. Hmm. That's interesting. Egypt, 90 miles west from Bethlehem, the border, it's outside of Herod's jurisdiction. Wait a minute. How does this make a fulfillment of what Hosea said? Hosea was looking back. Hosea wasn't looking forward in time. Like the last two Sundays of of sermons that you've heard, Numbers 24 and Isaiah 11, those were specific prophecies that looked forward to the future. A star and scepter shall rise out of Israel, a king. And then in Isaiah 11, a shoot shall come forth from the stump of Jesse. You know, we we get that these are forward-looking prophecies. How is this a prophecy fulfilled by Jesus? Hosea was not looking forward when he said this I want to help you get this I don't want you to think that the biblical writers are just playing games with the Old Testament and they can just make whatever they want a prophecy at any time what's going on here what's going on here is that Israel's story and Jesus's life have historical correlations that are beyond coincidence And just like Romans 5.14 describes Adam in the garden as a type and Christ as a, a new Adam, a type, we're dealing here with typology. If you've never heard of typology, without making something complex, I can simply say this. Typology deals with people, places, or institutions that have historical correspondence where the pattern escalates. historical correspondence where the pattern escalates in other words Jesus is a recapitulation of Israel as God's firstborn son and he succeeds where Israel fails so track with me for a second let me just show you briefly at the exodus moment how this works there's other moments but let's just focus here on the exodus put these two things parallel in your mind okay the nation of Israel and Jesus Christ Think about the historical correspondence, the pattern. Old Testament Israel has a flight from famine that draws them into Egypt. They're fleeing something that could kill them. They're fleeing famine, so they go to Egypt. Remember the story of Joseph? The rest of the family wasn't there yet. The nation of Israel in its embryonic state, young state, flees to Egypt to escape death Jesus the young infant flees Herod and his mother and father take him to Egypt Israel leaves Egypt after judgment has fallen upon the enemy of his son Jesus leaves Egypt after judgment falls upon the enemy of God's divine son Jesus that's what causes him to leave Egypt Israel leaves Egypt not just to do whatever they want, but to then live a life of obedient, loving trust with the Father, cultivating a relationship with the Lord, walking with Him, increasing in stature and favor and wisdom. That's the point, to be a light to the nations. Israel fails at that. Jesus, when He comes out of Egypt, what does He do? He grows in favor and stature and wisdom with the Lord and men. He becomes a light the nations just like israel leaves the water the water that surrounded them as the red seas parted they leave the water and they're in the wilderness and for 40 years they're disobeying jesus when he comes out of the water at his baptism what's said this is my beloved son with whom i'm well pleased and what happens for 40 days he's obedient he resists all temptation. We could go on and on. Jesus' life is a recapitulation of Israel's history in perfect excellence because Jesus is that perfect, excellent son. So when we put all this together, we see Hosea is not giving a predictive prophecy. That would be kind of confusing. It's not a future promise. It's a looking back. It has value for us. And Matthew in the New Testament is not claiming that Hosea gazed into the future and saw these specific events with certainty. No, Matthew is taking this typological grid that Hosea has laid out of God seeing Israel as a son that was spoken even before Hosea, and Matthew is picking it up and claiming that these events that happened to Jesus exactly fulfilled that pattern of events cited from Israel's history with a similarity beyond mere coincidence. This is biblical theology. This is incredible. That father-son relationship is meant to wow our reading of Scripture because it's everywhere. Jesus, even in the garden of Gethsemane before the cross, remember how he's praying, my father, if this is your will, let this cup pass from me. The fatherly relationship That Christ had was always on display he lived for the love of the father and he invites you to live in light of the love of the father and the son and the spirit we can close by just saying this the gospel makes us sons and daughters and if we want to apply this to our lives especially this Christmas season it's pretty simple, isn't it? Be awakened to how personal your heavenly Father is where he wants to know you and walk with you if you are in Christ. Be challenged that the difficulties that you're facing that they don't ever mean your heavenly Father's love has run dry. Be humbled that Jesus the obedient son died in your place. That's why you're saved, not because of your performance now. The things you do now simply just display the love you have for the Lord because He saved you. Be encouraged. God has more memories and more future plans that He can already see of His enjoyment with you than you can see. If you're like me, sometimes the the largest thing in your gaze is your own sin. Your own problems, your own stresses. Look to your Father. He's got eternal joy with Him waiting for you. I pray that you'll know the Father's love because it's an eternal love. Do you know it? Are you an adopted son or daughter in the kingdom? I pray you are. Let's pray. Lord God, we call upon you as Father and we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you've proved your love. We thank you that you have a love that is not easily exhausted by our ignorance and waywardness. But we thank you, Lord, that your love is holy. Help us, Lord, to see more of how you care for us and how you have affection for us in the gospel. Help us to live in light of it, especially this Christmas season. Do that, we pray, for the glory of your name. Amen.